together at John uh, chapter 22. We're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 6, verse 22 through 59, uh, feasting upon the bread. It's a long passage, so I had to make a little bookmark to hold it down so that I can see it. So if I mess up, it's long, forgive me. Uh, Anyway, I'm nervous here, uh, as you can probably tell. Uh, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you may have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The gospel of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching of this is word? Uh, Father, we are thankful uh, for this, your word, that you are a God who is not hidden nor silent, but a God who delights to make himself known. And so we come to you this morning for you alone have the words of life and life eternal. And so it is that we ask this morning that by your spirit, you would show us lovely things about you, that we might come to you and feast upon you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I assume that uh, at this point in time, many of you have read the book, uh, the, hung- the series The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. If you haven't read the books, you've probably seen the movies. And if you've seen it, you'll remember that Katniss Everdeen and her family live in District 12. And District 12 is this poor mining district in the, in the nation of Panem. And all these districts that are in Panem, they exist, right, to make the capital more luxurious and more rich. And so the capital takes advantage of them, they oppress them, and all of their work is not for them, but all of their work and all of their goods, they go directly to the capital. And so Katniss Everdeen's father is a miner, and he has this accident, and he's killed in this mining incident. And so Katniss and her family, living and growing up in in District 12, begin uh, to get incredibly poor, and they're hungry, and they begin to lose hope. And there's this scene in the movie that's really powerful where it's raining, and Katniss is sort of digging around the trash cans in the district, and she's walking around, and she's looking for food because she's starving. And then the baker's wife, like, sees her and comes out of the bakery, and rather than giving her any food to eat to to lighten the burden of her life, she casts her away and she scolds her and she shoes her off as if she's an animal. And Katniss, uh, you see her running through the rain and through the puddles and she falls down next to a tree and she's sitting in a puddle and she's weeping and her hope is draining, uh, her life is draining and the hunger until the son of the baker, whose name is Peta, comes out of the back uh, of the bakery and he steps out onto the back porch and he sees her And he throws her these two loaves of bread. Well, later on in the book, later on in the movie, uh, Katniss is going through this incredible, uh, incredibly difficult time, and she makes a comment on that moment. And here's what she says To this day, I can never shake the connection between this boy, Peta Malark, and the bread that gave me hope. Think about what she says. She's saying, I cannot shake the connection between this boy and the bread. 
right? The bread and the boy to her have become the same. And if you think about Peta's name, P-E-E-T-A, it sounds a lot like pita bread, P-I-T-A, and, uh, and, right? and so uh, it's kind of written into his name. And what I love about this connection is that uh, Peta, uh, well, this moment with Peta is a moment in which he, through the bread that he gave her, gave her life and literally fed her. And the story captures that throughout the book, right, with his name, that Peta, the boy, and the bread have become one. And therefore, the rest of the movie really is all about Katniss giving herself to him. Now, I don't know if Suzanne Collins had any intentions in, in all of this, but in a strange way, something incredibly similar is happening in the passage that is before us here in John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus is claiming to be the bread of life. Jesus is claiming to be the one who will satisfy us, who will fill us, who will protect us, who will nourish us, and who will ultimately give us life and life eternal. And Jesus says this over and over again in this passage. If you heard it read to you a few seconds ago, and if you paid attention, you would hear it over and over again. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Verse 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And lastly, as the passage begins to draw to a close, you can almost imagine Jesus sort of pointing at his sternum saying, right, this is the bread like, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And so the main point that's happening here in John chapter 6 is that Jesus is claiming to be the bread of life. Now, the way that this passage begins is really interesting because there's a crowd of people. And that crowd, verse 24, they are seeking Jesus. Right? In many ways, they're seeking the bread. And the irony of the entire passage is that as they are seeking the bread, they come to find out that the bread had always been seeking them. And that's what I want us to think about this morning, that Jesus is the bread of life, right? And we'll think about this in two ways. We'll think about the fact that though we seek the bread, uh, the bread has always been seeking us. So two things, the seeking of the bread and the bread seeking us. Let's begin with seeking the bread. Now the context of John chapter six, uh, which is the first part of John chapter 6, is that Jesus has just fed the 5,000, right? And as we looked at that, we looked at the passage in Luke, we, we know that he probably fed more like 20,000 people that day. And on that day, he fed like 20,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish that came out of a young boy's lunchbox. And after having fed them with these loaves and these fishes, the, the text tells us that 12 baskets were left over. And so after the meal uh, that evening, the disciples, they get in a boat and they cross over the sea and uh, Jesus wasn't with them. But then in the night, uh, you read that Jesus like walks on the water to go catch up to his disciples. And so the next morning, the crowds, they wake up and the disciples are gone and Jesus is gone and they start wondering, well, where'd the bread go? Where is he? And where is the bread? And so they set off seeking him, verse 24, seeking Jesus. And then verse 26, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, Jesus is 
response to them is pretty fantastic. Notice what he says in verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, Jesus is saying, all right, let's just get to the point. Let's sort of skip the pleasantries. Like, you are seeking me, not because you love me, and not because you want to be with me. You are seeking me because I fed you. You're seeking me because I fed you. This week, uh, one of my children, uh, she who must not be named, uh, called, we've talked about this. She said it was okay. Uh, but uh, we were, uh, she called me up on the phone after school, and she's like, hey, Dad, what are you doing? And I was like, nothing. I'm hanging out in my office. Like, pastors only work on Sunday. So, like, I'm just sitting here hanging out, like, you know, looking at YouTube. It's fantastic. What are you doing? And she's like, well, Dad, I was, you know, I was wondering if I could just come by the office. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Like, my daughter is leaving school. She wants to stop by and see me. Like, maybe we can, like, talk about dating or maybe we could, like, read the Bible together. Uh, maybe she just wants to pray with me. And uh, maybe I could read Bible stories to her like we used to do. That'd be amazing. But then uh, she finished the sentence. Hey, I'm wondering if I could come by and pick up some of the leftover candy from County Fair. And because uh, downstairs we have like this stash of candy from the County Fair. And I realized, oh, she wants to come over for the candy, not for daddy. And I thought, well, that's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and in a sense, like, like what are you seeking like when you come to Jesus, why do you come to him? In, in a sense, even why are you here? Right? Are we seeking Jesus so that he'll like, order our lives? Are we seeking Jesus so that he'll give us some good advice? Or are we seeking him so that he'll give us the life that we actually want? Like why is it that we're seeking him? And to put a, uh, to put a spin on a famous quote by C.S. Lewis, uh, if you come to Jesus seeking a lot of good things, you'll never find them. But if you come to Jesus seeking Jesus, you'll get Jesus and a whole lot of good things uh, thrown in. But the crowds, right, they're seeking Jesus because he filled their bellies, and so they're flocking to him like college students flocking to free food. And uh, then Jesus says in verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So think about this, these, these crowds, they've woken up in the morning, they've sailed across the sea, they're seeking after the bread, and Jesus essentially says to them, like, look, y'all were hungry yesterday, you're hungry today, you're seeking that which will not satisfy you, you must begin seeking that which will endure, right? You want to be satisfied, you want to be fed, you want good things, but you want what I give, but you do not want me, and we see this in uh, what Jesus says to them. He says, the Son of Man will give to you. And I want you to notice their response. So Jesus said, the Son of Man will give to you. Notice how they respond, verse 29. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, I want you to think about this question. Jesus has just told them that you're looking for something that will endure. The Son of Man will give it to you. The Son of Man will give you everything that you long for. He will feed you. He will give you eternal life. And what is their response? What must we do? 
I mean, they should ask, where is he? That he might give to me. And what do they ask? What must we do? What do we have to do to get him to give us what we want? And Jesus' answer is brilliant because he then turns their entire search on its head. Look what he says, verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, the first thing that they've asked is, what do we have to do? And Jesus' response to them is, stop thinking about what you do and begin thinking about God. Stop thinking about your own works and begin thinking about the work of God. And notice that they ask this question. They don't just ask, what work do we need to do? It is works plural, right? And, uh, and that's often how we think about Christianity, right? That it's all these good things that we're supposed to be doing. And so we begin our Christian life by turning away from all the bad things. And we turn to all the good things. And then we find ourselves exhausted and anxious wondering if we've done enough, right? And Jesus confronts us in this, and he says, uh, this is the work. There aren't works. He says, this is the work. There's essentially one thing, and this one thing is not something you do. This work is verse 29, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you see what Jesus has done? He's turned the search upside down because they want to know all the things that they must do in order to get the, the Son of Man to give them the life that they desire. And Jesus is saying to them, you cannot do anything. You can only believe. And he emphasizes this throughout the text over and over and over again. Verse 29, verse 35, verse 40, verse 47. Over and over, calling the crowds to believe in Jesus. And so what would it mean to believe? We read the Heidelberg earlier. What would it mean to believe? To believe would essentially mean just to trust in Jesus. It would mean to trust that what Jesus says is true. It would mean to trust that he cares for you. It would mean to trust that he actually died for you. It would mean to trust that his life and his death and his resurrection are sufficient for you. It would mean that you would trust his promised return, that he will return for you and you will rest in him and you will rest in him and you will rest in him and you will rest in all the works that he has done for his children. The Westminster Catechism, which is uh, one of the confessional documents of our church, says that faith is receiving and resting upon Christ as he is offered to us freely in the gospel. Now, many of us actually really believe this in theory. If you were to say, how, do I, how am I supposed to be saved? And you would say, well, you believe in Jesus. Uh, but then we go dark and we start thinking, well, have I believed enough? Is my faith enough? And uh, what I want to say is, your faith is enough. Because it's not so much how strongly you believe, but in how strong the one is in whom you believe. Uh, there's an old monk named Martin Luther, and he said it this way. We might compare this to two persons who possess a hundred golden coins. One may carry them in a paper sack, the other may keep them in an iron chest, but both possess the entire treasure. 
Thus the Christ whom you and I own is one and the same, regardless of the strength or the weakness of your faith or of mine. In him we possess all, whether we hold him with a strong faith or a weak. It is the strength of your Savior, not the strength of your doings, and not the strength of your faith, but the strength of the God who works for you. And the crowds, as they hear this, like I assume many of you uh, who are hearing this might say, no way. That can't be true. Prove it. Verse 30, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And I'm not sure if you uh, are picking up on this, but the crowds are beginning to throw some major shade at Jesus uh, because if you think about what happened uh, the day before, Jesus had fed about 20,000 people in the wilderness. And they're saying, yeah, Jesus, that's pretty good, uh, but you know what? You're no Moses. Because Moses, he fed hundreds of thousands of us in the wilderness For 40 years, you fed us for an afternoon. And so Jesus says to them, look, Uh, that's my interpretation, verse 32, Uh, Moses did nothing. It was my father that fed you. And now he seeks to feed you with that which is true bread, true bread that will give you true eternal life. And you can hear Jesus' sadness because he realizes that they are content with Moses and the manna. Verse 48, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And Jesus is saying, look, I am giving you a greater bread. I'm giving you bread that when you eat of it, you will never die. And so they're like pretty stoked about this. And they're like, give us this bread. And notice what Jesus says in verse 35. I am the bread. I'm the bread. And the irony here is that they've been seeking the bread only to find out that the bread has already been seeking them. And what he's saying is, look, I am the one you are looking for. And you need to look beyond your bellies. You need to look beyond the well-ordered life. You need to look beyond yourself because I am the deepest longing of your soul. Jesus is the one who will fill us, and he is the one who will satisfy us, and he is saying you cannot find it anywhere else. You will not find satisfaction in money or in sex or in being a good mother or being a good father. You won't find satisfaction in being in shape or being powerful or successful or famous. You won't feel satisfaction or find it in a big house or in a big car. Jesus is saying, I alone can fill you, and I am right here in front of you. And I have come to you so that you might come to me. You see it in verse 35. And all who come to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I think this is amazing. Jesus is saying, just come to me. Now, what would it look like to come to Jesus? Well, Ralph Davis tells this great story of a time when he was teaching Sunday school, 
and he walks in a little bit late after everybody's sort of gathered in. And as he comes into the Sunday school class, the class is full, and he pulls a dollar out of his pocket. And he says, I found a dollar on the way in. If you want it, come and get it. And everybody just looks at him. And they're like, oh, he's kidding. What's he trying to do here? They're looking at each other. They're sort of giggling. Or Many of them don't care about a dollar. And he starts to wave the dollar in front of the crowd. He's like, if you want it, it's here. It's here for you. Come get it. And everybody's just sort of giggling. It's awkward until this little boy gets up out of his chair. He walks to the front of the room. He holds out his empty hands. And Ralph Davis puts the dollar in his hand. And that's what faith is like. It's trusting God at his word that he will fill you and he will give himself to you. And so we come to Jesus with empty hands that he might meet us and satisfy us and fill us. And what would it look like for you and for me to come to Jesus? It might just be a little prayer, a simple prayer, Lord, help me. Uh, Maybe it's what you've done this morning. You've come to church after years of being away. Maybe it would be beginning to open your Bible and read it again. Maybe it would be coming to the table. Uh, Maybe it would be a new obedience. Maybe it would be acknowledging your disappointment with your life and asking Jesus to meet you in it. Maybe it would be acknowledging the fear that you have in life, the failures that you have in life, the needs that you have. Maybe it would be a repentance a turning from old ways and turning towards him. But the invitation that Jesus gives us is that we would simply come to him. And the irony, again, is that Jesus has already come to us. He has already been seeking us, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Our paradigm of Christianity is that we've got to raise ourselves up to God. And what is amazing is that God has come down to us. Jesus has come seeking us because the Father sent him to us. Listen again to verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And what we see is that Jesus has come for us because the Father sent him to us. And by God's grace and in his goodness, the Father has sent the Son so that the Son might welcome us, so that the Son might love us, so that the Son might forgive us, so that the Son would protect us, and so that eventually the Son would raise us up to everlasting life. And I think that this is incredibly significant and incredibly important because so often we think that God the Father is angry at us and can't wait to punish us and send us to our rooms or worse. And what this text is telling us is that the whole reason that Jesus came into the world is because the Father loves his children. And I love this passage because all of us want to know God's will, right? I mean, like... College students, uh, you know, what job should I take? What's God's will for me in this dating relationship? Should we break up? Should we get married? What town should I live in? Right? We're always wanting to know the will of God. And this text tells you the will of God, verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is God's will, 
that his children would come home. That is God's will, that you would return to your heavenly Father. And so he has sent the Son to save us and to fill us and to raise us up to himself. And this is important because he says the will of God is that he will not lose any of his children. And yet we as Christians are some of the most fearful and anxious people. We are always worried that we haven't done enough or been good enough or that we haven't fulfilled the will of God. If you want to fulfill the will of God, look to Jesus. The will of God is that we would actually stop looking at ourselves so much. And we would begin looking to Christ who has already done it all for us. One of the great saints of Christianity, of modern Christianity, died a couple weeks ago. His name was Eugene Peterson. And he, he said this beautifully. He said, we are being saved from ourselves. One way to define the spiritual life is getting so tired and fed up with yourself that you go on to something better which is following Jesus. Now, how is this going to happen? Verse 42. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Father's will is to raise you up. And so what has the Father done? He has drawn you to himself. He's drawn you to see the beauty and the grace and the glory of his son Jesus so that you might look to the son who would draw you out of yourself and fix your eyes upon one who is lovely. And he is the one who will protect you. He is the one who will deliver you. He is the one who will raise you up into his loving presence forever. What is so unique about Christianity is that God fulfills his will and his will is for his children to come home. So what are you going to do? Believe. Just to believe that Jesus is enough, that Jesus has actually saved you, that when he died, he died for you, that all of your sins have been covered because Jesus died for all of them, that you are now righteous because Jesus has given his righteousness to you, that he is at work in your life, that just like him, you will be raised up. That death will not be the end because of all that he has done on your behalf because the Father has sent the Son to bring you back to him and you will be raised up on that last day. And so you can begin today participating in God's will and enjoying God's work. You can begin today by believing in Christ, by looking to him. And one of the acts of belief, one of the acts of faith that you could do later on in the service is we all get up out of our seats. And we'll come up to these tables and our hands will be empty and we'll hold out empty hands and there'll be bread that is placed in them. And it is that bread that has given, been given to us by Christ himself to remind us that he is the broken bread. That is the work of God, that he would be broken so that you might be restored. He has given himself that we might have life with the Father. And so as we eat, we feast upon him, the one who makes these promises that your sins are forgiven, the one who makes these promises that you will be raised up, the one who makes these promises that he will satisfy and nurture you and makes these promises that he will return for us. 
and he will raise us up to our heavenly father. Let's pray.